prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Adrian Brody takes on Stephen King with Chapelweight, and Sharon Horgan and James McAvoy on their pandemic dramedy together. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Yet another twofer for you guys today. Three for? There are three guests, but two interviews, two conversations. A little bit later on in the show, um, the wonderful, the charming James McAvoy, Sharon Horgan, they have collaborated on a new film that really is an exceptional piece of work considering all the bizarre conditions this was made in. This is a, a film that was written and directed and shot during the year that was, and it is in, indeed about a couple dealing with being together during the pandemic. It is a funny film, a heartfelt film, a dramatic film, and it features two fantastic performances by Sharon and James. Sharon, who I have not really spent any time with over the years, but I've always been a big fan of her work. She is an exceptional actor as well as a writer and creator. And James, well, if you know my work, you probably know James uh, has done a lot of stuff with me over the years. We've done some crazy sketches that he uh, thinks back to fondly in our conversation, I'm happy to say. Um, and uh, he's been on the podcast. He's done a ton of things. So it was great to catch up with James uh, for a smaller conversation uh, about their new film together. That's later on in the podcast. But first up, really excited about this one. This was such a great conversation. Oh my God, I loved talking to Adrian Brody. Adrian Brody, you know him, you love him. The youngest Best Actor Award winner at the Oscars ever for The Pianist, but he's done so many films, a wide array of work, whether you know him from his Wes Anderson work, whether you know him from King Kong or Splice, I don't know. He's done every genre of film. He is now starring in a, in a great new series on epics called Chapel Wait. It is based on a short story by the great Stephen King, a uh, bit of gothic horror inspired by Poe, a uh, real uh, juicy 1850s um, dramatic um, uh, horror, and that's that's exceptionally well done. It is on epics. It's a ten-part series with Adrian at the center of it all. But this conversation with him, it was just great. I, I hadn't talked to him in a number of years. Back in the day, I felt like I was talking to Adrian Brody all the time, whether it was films like uh, Predators or Splice, etc. But it had been a minute since I, I caught up with him, and um, I just found him to be a really thoughtful, smart. Um, and just like a, had, had great things to say, great reflections on a, on a really interesting career. If you don't know, here's some backstory because we do get into it in the conversation. Yes, he won the Best Actor Award for The Pianist. He was in his probably 28 or 29 when he won that award. But prior to that, most kind of infamously, Adrian Brody was the star of Terrence Malick's The Thin Red Line, which was a very big deal at the time. Thin Red Line was Terrence Malick's first film in nearly 20 years. And this was going to be the film that made Adrian Brody a star. Well, as the legend has it, the film premieres. Adrian goes to the premiere and finds that he has essentially been cut from the film. He's, not, he, he's barely in The Thin Red Line. It's now kind of Jim Caviezel at the center of it alongside, you know, Sean Penn and Nick Nolte and George Clooney, a cavalcade of stars, but not really Adrian. So a traumatic kind of thing for any actor, let alone a young actor, to find out that they have been essentially excised from the, their big break. But um, I found Adrian's uh, talking about that experience in this conversation really fascinating to sort of see how he was able to kind of take some good 
from that otherwise really kind of rough experience for a young actor and channel it into experiences later on. So, um, I mean, that's just one aspect of this conversation, but he has a lot of thoughtful things to say about growing up in New York and the influence of his parents and the choices he's made, um, his perspective on comic book films and how we talk about how back in the day he met with Christopher Nolan and really wanted to play Joker. I mean, Ledger was great. I also would pay money to see Adrian Brody's Joker. Why not? Um, so, yeah, I, this is one of those conversations where I just didn't want it to end, and I wish we had more time, but um, hopefully Adrian will come back on the podcast soon and we can delve into more exciting stuff. Because, by the way, he also has so many really cool projects coming up. He's going to be in the new season of Succession. He's in this new uh, show about the Lakers back in the day playing, playing Pat Riley. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, you can tell, really love that chat. So a, a lot a lot of really great conversations on this uh, episode of Happy, Say, Confused. I know you guys are going to dig. Otherwise, some other cool things to mention. I did a bunch of conversations for the new movie Shang-Chi. The new Marvel hero is on the scene. And Simu Liu is fantastic in the film. Aquafina's is fun. Oh, the great Tony Leung. If you don't know Tony Leung's work already, you will see why he is an international star. He just is like... A charisma machine <laughs> in this film. But anyway, I got a chance to talk to Simu and Aquafina. Um, so there's some Comedy Central shenanigans coming up with Simu and Aquafina very soon, and also an MTV conversation. I had more of a straightforward kind of career chat with Simu, um, and he's just just so fits the bill as a new hero for Marvel, and also just like a, a charismatic, cool guy. So really thrilled that I got a chance to talk to him for that. Um, trying to think there are other cool things coming up soon there I've, I've been very busy on the comedy central and mtv front I, I don't know i think that's enough to tease for now but that suffice it to say there is more coming up that you will definitely want to uh, tune into because we're getting into out of the summer soon and into the fall which means kind of the quote-unquote prestige movies um which i personally dig the most so lots of cool stuff to come all right, we got a big show, so let's get right to it. Again, if you're here for James McAvoy and Sharon Horgan, that's coming up at the end of the show after this conversation. But first up, here's me and the great Adrian Brody talking all things Chapelweight, his comfort movie, another great Stephen King adaptation, and his life and career in general. Here it is. Thank you for doing uh, the podcast today. Uh, you know, as you know, this is a bit of a longer form thing, and it's always a luxury to get a chance to kind of like go a little deeper. So again, yeah. thanks for the time, man. Appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, um, so talk to me, first of all, where in the world am I finding you today? What's going I'm on? I'm in LA. I'm, I'm working out here. Uh, is, is this the uh, the Lakers project? Which of the many yeah. exciting Adrian Brody projects is this? It's really exciting. What a cast and some great pedigree behind it. Uh, McKay, Adam McKay did the podcast recently and that guy is just so, so whip smart. Anything he smart, puts his yeah. name on. Yeah. Um, and all of our, yeah, our show, Matt, Max Borenstein and, and you know, it's wonderful, talented, uh, creative people on, on board. And um, yes, and a wonderful cast and amazing history to delve into. I, the craziest thing for me each day is realizing how the 80s, which theoretically shouldn't feel so long. It is a long time. I know. Uh, yeah. that. But it feels like the 60s, like fashion shifts. And we've come so far and so far from that era. It's fascinating. So that alone is just a, 
Yeah, it's trippy to realize that like your childhood era is now like science fiction in today's terms. <laughs> and, and how foreign it must be for young people today because it's foreign for me already. And, you know, the concept of, uh, I mean, just even the old days of, you know, lugging around a Thomas guide out in LA when I first got out here and to get a page and pull over to a payphone and call my agent. <laughs> you know, couldn't wait to get a page. And before the pager, literally waiting by the phone, <laughs> waiting for your answer, calling in and checking your messages. Yes, or the answering service or all of it. Someone called. Yep. <laughs> now, now I don't even have voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, to the modern audience, basically watching your Lakers show is going to feel basically like watching Tapleweight. It's the same thing. It's it the is. Same <laughs> It's not that different. <laughs> um, well, you lead me to a subject that I wanted to lead off with because um, you're a born and bred New Yorker like myself. I'm, I, yes. I still live here in the city, and I always love to talk to unicorns like myself that came out of New York and are semi well adjusted and and love this city and love what it how it defined them. Um, do you when you look back at your childhood in New York, do you romanticize those times? Do, do you look back at them and think they were tough or rough? Or when you, when you think back to your childhood in New York, what do you think of? Um, I appreciate them. Um, I don't always romanticize them because parts of it were rough and, and difficult, um, but they were beautiful. And I do see the beauty in that and the gift of encountering so many walks of life, as I'm sure you do too. Even if I wasn't an actor, my sense of community and, um, just awareness of how diverse we all are comes from this uh, sea of humanity that we, we grew up in and taking the train. I always attribute, you know, I went to performing arts high school and I was very lucky to be accepted into the drama department. And, uh, you know, I was already acting professionally. Um, uh, we can delve into that if we want, but I, I, I fell into a love of acting, not necessarily acting as a career decision or any sense of what could come or would come. And really uh, performing arts kind of saved me from having to go to my local zone school, which would have been disastrous for many reasons. It was very, it was really high dropout level. It was very violent at the time and, and quite dangerous. And, um, and it was very close to home and it would have it would have trapped me into something very different and even even just out of necessity to survive which i even felt commuting going to taking four trains to go to performing arts uh, in the city um but you know that journey into to go to drama school i felt was way more <laughs> informative i mean i, I appreciate all the technique learned and it was very valuable but just absorbing uh all the characters that i've encountered in my lifetime that you know resurface in in works like the pianist you know and 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 there are nuances of human behavior that you just couldn't really learn by just studying you you could learn details but you're there and and 
you're always a fly on the wall of so much, so much, so many lives and different things going on and chaos. And, yep. and I, I do love that. I do, I, I, I do romanticize that. It's kind of like, it's kind of like looking back and seeing New York as like taxi driver. was <laughs> like, I remember my mom's old shitty Chevy Nova 70 Nova, which I would like love to have right now, but you know, just the drum breaks and sliding in the snow and really heavy snow, snowy winters. And, you know, the, the, I remember the flakes of snow coming up on the windshield as, as like just flowing. Like it was beautiful imagery. Like, and those it doesn't snow like that anymore. You know, we, our whole environment's changed, but just yellow old taxi cabs and all of those things. It was kind of romantic 42nd street was really 42nd street it wasn't a tourist trap I mean, it was dangerous but yeah. it was exciting when 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 you're young and when you're a teenager like that that just is like a, a siren call like i couldn't not want to go to a more dangerous area <laughs> just be like, let's go there that's a great idea yeah the amusement park was in your backyard yeah so all that completely resonates with me. Yes. I always say like, yes, just colliding with culture and diversity as a kid in New York is just, was just like the most invaluable education that I, that I was given. Um, talk to me a little bit about your family. I mean, your mom, a very well-regarded photographer, your dad, a professor, did they have, did they instill in you a strong sense, a love of the arts, a love of film and theater? Was that part of your, your upbringing? Yeah. I mean, my father really loves film and, and, um, he watches a lot of movies and loves a lot of older films as well, which, which were very interesting for me to, to watch with him as a, as a boy. Like I, I didn't really realize it, but it was an education there as well. But actually my dad used to love martial arts films too. We'd go down to canal street in Chinatown and he'd take me to the movie theater on Saturday and we'd drive in and, uh, you know, we had an old Carmen Ghia and drive in go see these movies, right? Um, one day someone was shooting, someone shot a gun off in the theater or whatever, I think when I was really young, but I mean, it was so, it was so wild. Um, but then, you know, I, I was steeped in these old Run Run Shaw films and martial arts movies, which were, you know, I didn't know would have some real place. And then I ended up doing a movie with Jackie Chan years later. Right. And, and um, doing kind of martial arts sequence, fight sequence with Jackie Chan, which was so amazing. <laughs> but uh, couldn't write a better uh, script. In the Gobi Desert, yeah. <laughs> and uh, training with the Jackie Chan stunt team, and it, it, it was such a a dream come true, right? Because as a boy, you know, even all my teenage years, I was just actually reminiscing with a friend last night about how I used to go up to the park in my neighborhood. And nobody really had any anything really to do and we just hang out and we'd get, get in trouble and we'd play fight and like do these like martial arts moves on each other <laughs> and practice on each other yeah. uh so it's just so funny but yeah so there, there was a, a love of a, 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 quite a diverse love of film yeah um, and you know we'd also go see films at you know the angelica and, and when you could go see really interesting foreign films and independent movies that would play in theaters yeah uh, and 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 my mother is, has just 
such a, uh, an enormous uh, influence on me in, in all of my creative pursuits and, and um, has really been a, a divining rod to, to at least the quest for purity. She's a much purer artist than I am. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think you can be that pure in, in most professions, but you know, there's, there is a need to compromise in, in, in making film because, well, they're, not, they're hardly making film, right? I mean- Right, how like, often does that perfect project come along? And it's a so, collab, yes. Yeah. And thing, you're not a photographer and having a vision and you're not just given an assignment and being allowed to interpret something in your way and bring that home and hopefully they accept it and give you another job, right? It's, it's, it's you're, you're, you're given material and you have to choose them unless you're gifted enough and fortunate enough to be able to write your own material and get that made, which very few people are, yeah. you're really interpreting someone else's words and then your work is then interpreted by a director and guided by the production and then edited. And there's, it's such a complex thing. So it's really vastly different, but, but I have tried very hard to at least be motivated by what actually inspires me or a journey that I think is meaningful or storytelling approach that I think is valuable to others, including myself. And, um, and she's given me all of that. And aside from having had an assignment for the Village Voice to photograph the American Academy of Dramatic Arts when I was a boy and, and uh, saw that there were young people behaving like I was misbehaving and, and uh, <laughs> um, just, you know, I think it's, it's a, that's, a, that's such a huge gift, you know? And, and I always look back at it of finding acting or acting, you know, finding me prior to adolescence. Because when, when a, a boy or a girl hits puberty, already there's a shift, right? And we start becoming, we start doubting ourselves, which we're changing. There's a metamorphosis, right? There's, right. A, there's a purity to like 12 and under. It's all pure. Yes, and that's right. And it, was, it, was, it was diverge. It was 12. And 14, you're not a, a man yet, but you're feeling different and things are going on and it's more complicated. And, and then you've got a whole, you're, you're, you've, you've kind of mastered boyhood at 12 and now you're a teenager and you have no clue of what that is. And you see, you know, a 17 year old or an 18 year old and you think, wow, they're a man and you really want to emulate them. And, and, but you're not there, you're not there yet. And, um, I think, and then you have, if you're lucky enough to find something like getting proper acting education, you're getting all this information and all this judgment from your teacher. And that also can be amazingly positive experience, but that can also inhibit a young person. And I, I feel so blessed that I just caught a sense of <clears throat> the freedom of my child of, of 
the carefreeness more uh, that is needed even as an adult to be an actor. And, and um, of course, there's a lot of precise work that has to go in it, but you do need this childlike imagination. You do need to stay open in some way or manage to open whatever those channels are up to be vulnerable and exposed and present in, in sometimes very compromising situations and, and or, or, or difficult ones. And um, uh, I feel like that, retaining that is the technique that I uh, have valued most of, of, of um, that early start. And also my mother is just such a beautiful artist and photographer and not only was I you know, her subject on so much that I got very comfortable having a camera present and was not encouraged to <laughs> do anything. It wasn't right. my father telling me now smile. Now, you know, you don't, you want a good photo here, you know, you need to smile. It was like my mom just shot me climbing, doing pull-ups on a, on a stoplight, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She stripped you of the artifice early on. She tell me do a pull-up or stop doing a pull-up. She just caught me doing my thing. Yeah. And um, so I'm grateful for all of that. And that I romanticize about. <laughs> it's, it's funny to think about because like, you know, I was going back through your, your filmography, looking at some old interviews. And, you know, when, when people think back to The Pianist, when you won the Oscar, I think for a lot of people, had a sense like this guy came out of nowhere, this was his first thing. But like, as you just alluded to, you've been working for a while. And not only have you you've been working, like you've been directed by like Spike and Barry Levinson and Terrence Malick. <laughs> like you, you've been like accumulating a really significant body of work, whether the general public knew it or not. Where were you at when Pianist happened? You'd been through that trial by fire, which must've been crazy, the whole Thin Red Line experience, which must, must've fucked up your head a little bit. Were you in a happy, good place? Like, were you like feeling like ready to, for your coming out party or were you beaten down by like opportunities that had, hadn't quite panned out in the way you wanted them to be? Oh, I, I, uh, I had several years to come to terms with Thin Red Line. I mean, um, and I had been acting for 17 years. So that was probably the greatest loss uh, creatively that I've had. Um, and hopefully will remain that. Um, but um, with the years, are you able to look back at that experience with any greater? Yes, I had already, already at that point in, in, in uh, grasping the responsibilities I had in the pianist and I was still a young man. I was 27 when I shot that. Right. And um, so much of life became apparent to me and, and much of what I had taken for granted in my life became, become apparent to me um, in the making of, of, of that film and in the process of, of preparing for it and, and shooting it, which was a, a six month movie. The Pianist was a six-month movie. Uh, Malik's film was a six-month film as well. Um, I joked with Roman, actually, when we made the movie. I said, well, you can't cut me out of this one. What are you going to call it? The Piano? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but 
it the loss of not being in a movie that is a dream project and and you're already touted and kind of publicly put out there as the author's persona etc and, and and having spent time with uh james jones's widow and you know it, there was it was such a level of of commitment and involvement and um i the gist of what an actor's journey is really is to connect with the the um the journey of the character and 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 in this case a novelist who really was writing about himself that was the fife was his point of view and what james jones was coping with was a feeling of inadequacy and guilt uh, as a soldier of com coming coming home and all the complexity of, of the psychological scarring of war and the repercussions of war. And, and what I kept thinking about was how I can't really share what that felt like to come back and have six months of doing something kind of eviscerated and no clue of all of that really. And, and I thought on some level, this is how soldiers must feel coming back giving their all and fighting and being put through hell, really hell and being afraid and um, feeling insecure about their fears and watching other soldiers be more brave. And then coming back like in deer hunter, like coming back to right. waiting for the parade that never comes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was so young anyway, I just was so excited to, to get great work and work with a genius director and, and be surrounded by the most amazing actors. And, and uh, you know, and then I had all of those experiences. I, I had them, we shot them. I had, I had that life. I, I, I was with Sean Penn there and, and, I, uh, and he treated me wonderfully and I, you know, was there with Woody Harrelson and, and uh, you know, and I was in Guadalcanal and I was doing the work and I did a eight days or so of boot camp and got put through the ringer because the, our, our, the captain of our squad really made an example of me because there's a bit in the movie, I guess, but I was the lead at that point. So they kicked me out of my group, which were all the young guys that were, in the core group of the film and they put me in with the Australian extras and then made me feel what it was like to be taken away. And there's, there's a kind of parallel element that happened in, in, uh, in the novel. <clears throat> and all of these were wonderful. It was such a wonderful gift, a life experience. And I, I feel like, Anything that happens in your life, the beauty of being an actor is that there's value to all the sadness that you have, to any sense of loss, to any sense of joy 
but 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 to give value to unpleasant experiences is a beautiful thing to really give value because your your responsibility is to now step into the shoes of another person and honor that person and to act it without some innate understanding of it is bullshit then you're then you're acting and it's the wrong you can't some people can but i it feels so dishonest that uh it it's it's the antithesis of the process it's the antithesis of what i want to show up and do i don't want to make it through something by faking some connection yeah. acting is fine like I'm acting. You're, you're, yeah. showing you showing you that i'm in pain i want to understand what that pain is and the yeah. nuances of that pain and the complexity of that pain and and allow the intimacy of a camera to capture that moment go there conjure it and try and get get rid of it to some extent <laughs> you know right. that's the, that's the real magic trick um but i could not have done the pianist or what or or connect as well to certain things i don't think without a certain degree of loss you yeah. know, understanding of that and so I value it and I I value all of the things that come and go in life and loving and losing and winning and losing and you know I think the beauty of of being an actor is you continue if you can stay the course you continue to get better because life informs yeah life's giving you all the material yep. yeah yeah and the more character building things that happen that don't break you make you much more interesting as a person and if you can now channel that into a work to share intimately with the world which we all need which is which is which is what we need. We don't need, I mean, sure, we, we can enjoy a more, a lighter, entertaining experience of, you know, killing some time and being entertained. But if we can be entertained and also feel a connection and feel more connected, even to an interpretation of a character that makes us think about either our lives or our neighbors' lives or our parents' lives or what they've been through. That's that's a gift. That's um, and that's what I I yearn for in in everything that I do. Well, it, it's 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 a great uh, trait that you were able to kind of figure that out at least to some degree even early on back then. I mean, because then on the flip side, I, I was watching like. I, I might have even been working there at the time. You were on the Charlie Rose show when you were on The Pianist. And to see you there is to see like, it's a kind of a joy, it's a really joyful thing to watch because it's to see an actor, as Charlie said, and 
he was a shitty guy, but a good interviewer. And I, I know from, from working for him, but <laughs> you met the moment you met, you know, it was the actor met the material and it was just to see a guy uh, at that relatively young age, kind of like just finally kind of welcome to the club. Did you feel that? Did you feel like your peers or your elder peers, the people that you had admired kind of like gave you validation in the wake of the pianist? And what did that mean to you at the time? Oh, absolutely. It was, it's still, <laughs> almost moves me to tears because, uh, you know, I'm, and I think this is something that I inherently learned from my mother and her experiences of, you know, my mom fled Hungary during the revolution in 56 and left everything behind as a very young girl and left her friends behind and her she was only told 24 hours before she was leaving and fled on the back of a truck shooting flares and she was a refugee and she went through Vienna and then she was a foreigner there and made fun of for being a foreigner and ended up in New Jersey and put herself through art school and became this wonderful, soulful person. And all of her perspective, I think, and, and if you look at her imagery, there's this such a connection to the fragility of life. And, and there's a degree of sadness within that. There's a, there's, a, there's a consciousness of that. And I have that. I, um, <clears throat> I'm saddened by how much sadness there is in the world. And then there I was with this triumph <laughs> of a lifetime of working, which was, it was, you know, I, I, you know, shy 10 years of my entire existence on this earth. I had been working professionally. Uh, and I was being given all this appreciation and, but it was, it was coupled with an understanding of the horror of the world. Tied to this and very weighty, yes, it was this very yeah. weighty thing, and it and it was a huge responsibility in making that film to honor all the loss. How does how does a, a young man do that? And and uh, the personal loss for the filmmaker and the, the man who I portrayed in the memoirs and the, each individual and all of that just on so many levels and and then there i was being showered in 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 appreciation and and um it it was a very strange time you know um i i don't know if i ever anticipated that level of acknowledgement for my work of course I, I i couldn't i mean i think every actor says oh yeah i'd love to win an academy award or, you know again be appreciated and but you don't understand what that is and what kind of a, a, a triumph it is especially if you're if you're young i think um and to to have so many of my peers even know my name. I mean, Jack Nicholson didn't really know my name before we were up and, you know, 
<laughs> I was really going over to his house to discuss what do we do about it because we just embarked on a, it was a, it was you know it was that's a whole other tangent but you know like Jack like saw me one night and he was like hey brophy <laughs> I was like yeah <laughs> you can call me whatever you like Jack you know me whatever you like boss but um it was such it was such a a crazy shift um and and really beautiful and 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 again to share that with my parents who gave me the space to pursue a dream which is very hard to do you know we, we don't come from you know we come from really modest surroundings and you know they're they're both educated they, they would have you know but, but they just understood me and, and and allowed me to find my way and um it was the beginning of really feeling like I, I was on track. And <clears throat> prior to that, I never knew if I'd get another job. I mean, it was really, I was a working actor. I had done a lot of work and, and, and worked with wonderful people and had a wonderful education in, in, in film, but I, I never knew. And, and actually, <laughs> after The Pianist, I didn't get a job for a year. After the Academy Award, I didn't work for a year. Was the next thing you did The Village? Yes. Right? yes. Which also, can, can I just say, because I, I, I next kind of wanted to segue into what I would call, quote unquote, your genre work, which like uh, The Village fits in there, Chapel Weight fits into there. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of, of all these things. Splice, I'm a big fan of King mm -hmm. Kong, um, Predators, we've talked about, I remember years ago. Um, and clearly based on, on some of your early experiences, you talked about watching Shaw Brothers, you know, uh, martial arts films as a kid. I, I take it you were a genre film fan. Yes. Um, do you approach things, do you think about genre when you're doing something? Applying it to Chapel Weight, for instance, or for any of these, like does the genre trappings affect a performance? Do you know, like I'm in this type of movie, so I need to act in this style? <laughs> that's a really great question. Uh, that's a great question. Um, I guess on certain days, <laughs> certain days you you feel <laughs> you can't escape that you're in the genre. Right. You look to your left, you look and, to your right, and, you're like, I'm in the <laughs> And Josh, whether you want it or not, it is affecting your acting. Yeah. It is, you know, you you are um, having some really fake looking blood oozing out of something, or you, you know, it is a bit arched the right. moment that you you and that you have to <laughs> swim through. Uh, but I, I have a sense of humor with it. And I think some people have a hard time differentiating. You know, it's a, it's like I'm, I have to become a painting, right? I'm part of a painting and uh, each one of these journeys is a different style. I'm, I don't want, and even, and I do paint, and even as a painter, I have styles that I gravitate to that I love, but I'm constantly experimenting and I'm constantly trying new things. And I think even in the art world, when you see an artist, you want to go, ah, 
That is a Picasso. That is a Monet. That is a Basquiat. But if Basquiat just did some really cool collage and you were like, that's a Basquiat, and be like, well, that's not a Basquiat. And there was no little cool sketching or oil stick work and nothing that you recognize as a Basquiat. You, you got to allow the person to paint it. And you may not love that painting, but it is a, it is a creative journey, right? And it, it, is, it is to share, but it is also for me to go on. And I love to experiment with the work. And I feel like that is part of the joy of being an actor, of not only finding diverse roles and becoming people that are very different from you and your set of experiences, but to, you know, work with the, uh, you know, Ken Loach and work with Dario Argento, you know? Right. And I think both of those are meaningful to me and both entirely different processes. And I, I, I love it. I love that. And, uh, but I don't know if that translates. Um, it may be you because you, you see so much and you're, you're, you, you have an understanding of, of the process and people's work. And, but I think, um, I don't know if I, I confuse, I feel like I've confused a lot of people with my choices. They, why would you do that? And I, 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 do love the, I'd love to experiment with the work and I, and I like to take some risk with it. And um, and just go there and see what happens. Sometimes it's not great what happens, but, but sometimes it is, it is really great fun. And uh, without the rest of the- I grew up on, I grew up on going to see, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and, and yeah. the movies in the theater and, uh, yeah. So on, on, on a somewhat trivial note, but, uh, but it's important to me because I'm, I'm a nerd at heart and I grew up with this stuff. And even many years ago, I, feel, I, I remember talking about this with you. One of the few things you haven't been in is a big comic book movie. And it's, it's just part and parcel of the conversation of pop culture in the last 10 years, especially mm -hmm. as it's dominated everything. You told me once you had at least some conversation with Chris Nolan about Joker. Do you, do you recall oh, that? Yeah. Do I remember that? Of course. Well, you, I'm just curious, like how far you did? Did you have a take? Like, did you have like an interpretation? You were ready to? Oh no, I wasn't. I wasn't close. I mean, I don't. I you know, yeah. it was a it was a role that I felt very suited to do. I mean, I think Heath did such a remarkable job. Yeah. In that movie, and and um, it was indelible, and uh, such beautiful work, and. Um, you know, but any actor, any actor who has a degree of edge and would like to delve into a dark character like that, especially with a, a filmmaker like Christopher Nolan, who brought such a profound vision, and nobody was doing that at yeah. the time. There was nothing like that. So it was the difference of. Are you going to do a big right. studio movie and play a comic book hero or villain, whatever you're suited for, uh, if you're lucky, 
but it's really broad and broad and not necessarily the, 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 the way that would uh, feel fulfilling. Right. This, this and, checked all the boxes. This and, was everything. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and Christopher Nolan's work and, and what he gave actors in that was such a revelation that, that it was, you know, mind blowing to see. And so of course, at that point, you know, uh, that would, that would have been such a dream role, you know, and, and I'm sure it was. For you. Does, um, does it, does it feel like unfinished business at all? Again, it's weird to like paint it with a broad brush. Cause you just, you just described it. Well, it's like, it's really not about a comic book genre. It's about like the opportunity to work with like a specific. Kind like of I said, if, if, if I was presented with an opportunity to play an interesting character with a filmmaker that um, elevated me and gave me space to do something vastly different. In that world, it sounds amazing. Yeah, you have this wonderful machine. If you're, you know, we're talking about a Marvel movie, you have, you know, Disney and Marvel and all these, you know, giants that know all the technique and tools and stand behind these movies and you know they they've they've done something that that i think is is uh enormous yeah it's enormous and and people love them and so who wouldn't want to be a part of something that is beloved and and you know but it would it would take a tone that i related to it wouldn't be just to you know. Yeah. Um, this, this time is already flying by. So there, t- there are at least two other subjects I want to hit before I, I, I release you into back into your life, sir. Um, we, ha- we barely talked Chapel Weight, but this, this subject actually kind of relates a little bit into it, which is I asked you for a comfort movie. I've been asking everybody for comfort movies in the last year. You mentioned the man of the hour at the center of this. Uh, this is a great one. It is a bizarrely comforting movie, even for me, even if it's one of the darkest, creepiest movies ever. I thought um, you'd appreciate it. Oh, the best uh okay. so watch so rewatchable always you get sucked in tell us your comfort movie adrian and why you why you chose it well i, I thought it was such an interesting question because i do know people who resort to a comfort movie and it's a complex thing for an actor to have a comfort movie it's a complex thing because it's my work and i i i, I there, there there's so many things that go on for me <laughs> to watch a movie. <laughs> uh, uh, it's rarely comforting. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work. Yep. And I, um, and, but I, there are, there are a few that I resort to, but I had mentioned that The Shining for me, is a comfort film and for many reasons. Um, uh, one is that, you know, you, you can appreciate that movie if, you've, if, you, if you know it well in, in the background too. There is a, a vastness uh, scope and um, Visually, it's just stunning. 
Kubrick's work is just incredible. You know, the source material, Stephen King's work is, is gripping and tormented. And then the acting is impeccable across the board. And, you know, I know a bit about it. I know, you know, I've done a little research on it. I know the, the, some of the suffering that's gone on to make it and, 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 and to witness that such a privilege and to see an actor like Jack in, in his prime and the subtlety and the, and the broadness of his work um, is just meaningful. It's just so meaningful to me. And um, I, I think you, I think you're right, by the way. And I play it on the projector and it's just, you know, the scope of it is yeah. just so uh, powerful. Well, it envelops you, right? It, it is, you know, the, the cliche of world building. That's what Kubrick does in each of his works. He just like draws you into this just meticulously crafted, absorbing sensory overload. The music, the from the from the opening images of the car winding through the road to the the topiary at the end. You were just like, you are at the overlook, stuck in there with this family, and it's just. I mean, I always say I love the feeling of like just being in in um, shorthands of a filmmaker. And like in a much more bizarre way, I would say like Wes Anderson shares this, right? Your buddy Wes creates a world that is just meticulous and you are in the strongest possible vision and you're not gonna be let down. And that's what Kubrick every time does. And to this one, to such great effect and such haunting. And, and I can't think of a movie that has more dread hanging over it. So I, I think it's it's an unusual pick, but I, I it's, a, it's a great pick. I could put on just about any Wes Anderson movie and that would be a comfort film easily. Um, uh, and, you know, put on Royal Tannenbaums and that can be on, you know, you can leave that on quite often. And it's a wonderful film. I just don't throw movies on again and again for the sake of it. I just, for partially because I don't have time to sit, sit down and be comforted. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot to do. Yeah. <clears throat> I have a lot of burning inside of me that I want to accomplish. So it's hard for me to sit still, but um, I like, um, there are a few films, you know, Godfather 2 is another one that if I'm on a flight or somewhere that I am, you know, I've gone through some of my catch up work and my emails and my, you know, reading some scripts that I've forgotten. Like I'll, I'll sit down and allow myself to watch and again, and, uh, you know, that's comforting. Yeah. It's just comforting. Uh, great selections, man. I, I wish we had more time. Hopefully, let, let's do this again. Uh, uh, yeah, because yeah. Um, thankfully, and if you look at the IMDb, look, you've worked so consistently throughout your career, but right now you have just a host of projects coming up that I, I could not be more excited for. We alluded to the Lakers project. Uh, you've joined the, the show that every actor is dying to join in succession. We'll see you on that one soon. I'm fascinated and excited by this Sam Rockwell, Saoirse Ronan murder mystery thing. Uh, it's all happening in the best possible way, man. And just to, to say, because I know we didn't really give maybe enough love, but I do want to say Chapel Weight on Epics uh, is an exceptional piece of work. It, it's, a, it's based on Stephen King's material, uh, and it really does create that very um, holistic world, this this feeling of dread. And again, you, you deliver, as always, a fantastic central performance. And um this has really been a fantastic chat, man. It's been long overdue, and I, and I really yeah. do appreciate the time as always. Yeah, I appreciate you, and and uh, you know, keep up 
doing the great things that you're doing and, uh, you know, stay positive and focused on it. And I, I, I love your sensibilities. So I'm happy to talk anytime. And yes, I, I briefly just send you off with that. You know, Chapel Wave was just such a, a pleasure for me. You know, it was, it was very challenging work, but it was such a, a, first of all, a gift to delve into the, the work of Stephen King. And I think the Filardi brothers did a wonderful interpretation and uh, of that source material of Jerusalem's lot. And, and that was a real, um, he was a real man, that character, right? And I feel like it's very different from other roles that I've been given an opportunity to play. And I just liked his fortitude and pragmatic approach to things and his measured behavior in an attempt to not get swept away emotionally from, from all these things, because he had a lot stressing him emotionally. And, yeah. From the get-go, he's dealing the with, with loss. Yeah. And I, I, I thought it was really interesting. It's very different from the man. I mean, I, I aspire to have certain traits like that, but I, I found it really, um, like a meditation almost to play that guy because he was so uh, <laughs> driven and, and um, tenacious. Uh, I would have been long gone. I would have gone out of that house quickly. <laughs> you and me both. That's actually, not, actually, I've been stuck in my house with plenty of ghosts for, for a long time, but uh, yeah, I don't know. But I, 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 I really enjoyed playing Charles Boone and uh, I hope people see it. It'd be really great. Yeah. No, people should check it out. We did an entire long conversation without even mentioning worms coming out of your nose. This might be yeah. the first chapel weight conversation that doesn't hit that, That's but, right. if you, but see, come, come for the acting and stay for the worm coming out of the nose. Uh, <laughs> Adrian, man, again, it's been a pleasure, man. Hope to talk yeah. to you soon. Uh, you well. James, Hi. it's always a pleasure to catch up with you, man. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. Thank you very much. You? I'm doing all right. I'm holding up all right. Uh, Sharon, I don't think we've had the pleasure. Thank you for making the time to chat about your lovely new film today. You're welcome. So um, James and I have, have created some really disgusting things over the years, so it's probably for the best that we're doing this we over have. Zoom. Oh, really? We, we've kissed, I think. Multiple three times. times? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a running what? motif in our sketches. Didn't I once kiss you on the lips? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you and my wife are basically on even keel. I haven't gone further with her either, so it's... it's this is uh, for realsies. Yeah. Yeah, this is for realsies. Yeah. We've made, like, some weird little sort of comedy movies together. One where I ended up kissing you a lot, and then another one where I ended up, like, sort of getting a weird sadomasochistic sexual relationship with your laptop. Yeah, you had, a, you then, had, you yeah. had sex with a computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had sex with a computer. So this movie yeah. is much more classy than anything we've done. Congratulations on, uh, on this one, guys. Together is the film... And um, this is, a, you know, it's obviously a lot of unusual kind of circumstances in the last year for all of us and for producing works of art. This on paper could sound like the worst idea possible to some, but somehow you guys make it work, the writing and the acting. It's like, do we want to revel in the COVID year? Maybe not, but this one, this one actually does work. Were you wary going into a project like this or what? Weirdly, I wasn't wary. Considering no. considering how I, I felt about, you know, there wasn't a huge amount of COVID content made, but, you know, there was a period of time where no one was making any TV and it was clear that some 
so someone had to try uh, yeah you know because there was reruns and then there was the the sort of uh people sort of filming stuff on zoom and la la and so I, I i was just like wanted to steer clear of all of that and then and then this came along and it was written by dennis and you know dennis and i go way back and i i know he's a brilliant writer but i i honest to god it sort of blew me away when 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 i read it i just found it so um uh, you know, uh, I was just so engrossed from uh, from the first page. I just wanted to um, be with these people, and um, and then knowing that you know it's a it's a it's a you know a lockdown um, drama with with real comedic moments in it. So so it wasn't going to be just this sort of you weren't just going to be talked at and sort of right. made to feel sort of um, grief all the way through. You were going to be entertained and, and Stephen Dolgy was going to, you know, helmet and, and then to get to work with um, James McAvoy on, on this, you know, uh, who I've loved for years and, and admired for years. And just to, to get the chance to do a, a two hander pretty much, you know, just with him felt like, so there was no, there was no part of me that was worried about it because I yeah. knew it was going to be good. Like you know, well, the, the, unless the script, I. Sorry, no. I was going to say the script is is delicious. I mean, the dialogue. I mean, I would imagine as an actor, you can really chew on this stuff. I mean, this is about a, a couple that is not necessarily uh, in in the best stretch of their relationship, to say the least. And and as we all know, you know we can, we sadly can say the worst things possible to the people that we have the most history with. And some of the stuff you guys say to each other is so cutting. I mean, like, I probably love you might be the most damning phrase you can say to a lover. <laughs> yeah, but at that stage, it's, 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 I don't know. I find that kind of lovely because it's so honest when, when, when he, when he says that, I mean, he's so hot. It was so heartbreaking to look at him. I mean, we say so many vile things to each other and I, you know, I've, I've been in relationships that haven't been great and, it was so reminiscent of those, you know, when you get mm. to a point where you're looking at someone's face and you hate their face and you genuinely hate, hate their face there, you know, and you notice things like their eyes are too close together because, because you hate them so much. You're honing in on the thing. Cause you feel like it'll help because it'll make you hate them more. So, <laughs> so it's sort of the fact that it was, <laughs> that it captured all that was, I mean, that was, that's harsh, really harsh. Yeah, I think the fact as well that like by that point, we've introduced them into the world of this relationship so much that I probably love you, hopefully affects the audience the same way it affected me. It, like the audience understand their language now that they know that means something humongous, humongous, more than the next couple could ever say with a with a superlative love poem. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Um, so I think that's, they've got this, They've just get their own language and they get their own way, and it's nice to be able to translate that. Are there any recurring um, things that your partners over the years have said about you that 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 drives them crazy? What's been the like? Oh, oh this must be something I do that just generally drives my partner or partners over the years insane. Have you become self-aware of anything, James, or no? Oh. Oh. Um, uh, 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 <laughs> You're perfect. You have, you have nothing. Open. Probably. You what, pal? Leaving the toilet door open isn't that one of your things? I do that's, that's a signature McAvoy move. I do. I just did that a little bit. I just did that a minute ago with oh, the no. entirety of our Zoom participants. <laughs> yeah, man, it wasn't pretty. I'd had a vindaloo last night as well, so you know, 
Um, do you guys have stucco? We call it pebble dash. Um, oh my gosh! Wow. So, uh, what would I say? I expect a lot of. I need a lot of tactility. Maybe that. Maybe I'm too. I need too much physical contact. Maybe that is it. Well, this goes back to which our, our like kissing sort of like, This makes sense. It sounds totally. like I'm just like one of those guys. Like, I just need a lot of sex. Do you know what I'm saying, big man? <laughs> just need a lot of shagging. Oh, it's hand no, holding. It's you just don't like physical that. contact. Yeah. I've heard that a few times. Okay. Okay. What about? Okay. So everything about this production is accelerated, right? Like as I understand it. Um, it came together really quickly, 10 days of rehearsal, 10 days of shooting. Does that accelerate everything about it? This must kind of like spoil you. You guys have both been on much larger productions where there's a lot of downtime. Um, it must be so fantastically rewarding to just like every waking moment be thinking about this and just in it. Yeah. So we were just saying it has spoiled us actually, yeah. you know. Uh, the, fir the first um, meeting I had about a film <laughs> after when I finished this, I was just like, so I've just made this film <laughs> and I think we should make it like that. Seriously, I think we should rehearse it for, for two weeks and then I think we should film in two weeks and I don't see why we can't do that. And, and, and obviously that can't be the case for everything, but there's some things yeah. that that can be the case for. I've done two movies in the last year and a half that we made in two weeks, basically. One of them was a completely improvised film where I didn't have a clue what was coming next. And then the next one was this, and we managed to make both of them in two weeks. I'm like, come on, every movie should be like this. He has the <laughs> same amount of money, please. That's the only caveat. Right. Get us out of there in two weeks. <laughs> I will do more acting in those two weeks than you could ever fit into four months with your conventional filming. Over the years, are you good with the downtime? I mean, obviously, you in particular, James, you've done the X-Men films. So those are ginormous. There's just inherently, it takes a lot yeah. of, there's a lot of downtime. Have you yeah. always been good at kind of keeping the focus and filling the time in yeah. between? Yeah, I mean, look, I remember coming off of Macbeth and going to Montreal to shoot uh, X-Men Days of Future Past. And I was on stage working my socks off eight shows a week, loving it, absolutely loving it, but literally sweating blood every second I was at work. And then you got to there and... Like that was a, I got to do some good acting in that movie, but there was so much downtime. I just remember like looking around and going like, how is anybody stressed? This is an absolute doddle. This is nothing. And um, loving it, just loving life and being very aware that that kind of work, you know, it was the parent who was staying at home looking after kids was was working. I was going to have a, a yeah. giggle in, in Montreal on set. Um but at the same time, you know, as much as that was an antidote to the hard work you were doing on stage, after a little while, you do get frustrated. You are like, oh, my God, it's hours between setups. And it's and also what you're maybe getting, you might spend 16 hours trying to capture eight lines worth of dialogue. And really, is there any of those lines that um, maybe you've got a day where none of those lines really gets to the heart of anything? You're right. never really, sometimes you're not really doing much when it even gets to your bit. Um, and so doing something like this, which was about, I mean, really, as much as it's, it feels, people keep saying the word theatrical, it actually felt way more natural and realistic. And even though you're talking to the audience, aren't we just talking to your mate? Aren't you just talking to the audience when you're talking to your mate in the pub? Aren't you just talking to the audience when you're talking to your mom on the phone? And that's what this feels like. That's what this kind of talking to the audience feels like. For, well, that, feels like for me. I, I, I yeah, I mean, I, I asked my audience always to for, for suggested questions. And certainly one of the questions that came up from, from Jen, Jen Caden wanted to know how was it acting directly to camera? And and I and my my follow-up would be is like, yeah, who are you imagining on the other end of that that camera? 
Are you speaking to someone specifically or what? Um, well, initially when we were rehearsing, um, there was no camera. It was just Stephen Daltrey <laughs> sort of prancing around the place, like, you know, and so we were talking to him and we did discuss it a lot, you know, what it should, and I, I remember asking Dennis, I was like, who, because initially it was um, gonna be uh, a play and then, you know, no, then, you know, all the theaters um, shut down. I mean, um, uh, so so it would have you would have been talking to an audience. So we sort of um, in the end, it was just like Stephen was an invite was a guest in 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 our home. You know, right. he was someone who didn't necessarily want to hear about our relationship, but we were going to tell him, and we each wanted to, you know, get him on side, kind of like you do in marriage therapy. You're kind of like want the counselor to, right. to to be on your side, right? Yeah, you you hear me, right? I mean, you can hear me from. I mean, obviously, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> but yeah. but you know, I I if I'm really really honest, I can't remember exactly what we landed on. All I know is that um, for me, it was a really new thing to do. And that the big thing I had to get over was not looking away, you know, like I had to sort of hold eye contact, which I, I found kind of hard because I'm really shifty. And uh, so De <laughs> Stephen just kept saying, you know, like even when I do one where I felt like I was really, really connecting with him, it'd be the first thing he'd say to me when when we, you know, when we um, when we cut, he'd be like, keep looking away. So I had to sort of learn it. This might sound like an absurd thing to talk to professional actors about, but I'm, I'm, I'm always like, I just don't have a great memory for memorizing stuff. And in my job, I sometimes have to do small amounts of dialogue and I can barely handle that. But the sheer amount that you guys are handling, and certainly you've done theater, obviously, you, have, you, you know how to do this. But like, does this come naturally? Again, this is a 10-day shoot. You've got about a week and a half of rehearsal. Do you absorb that stuff quickly? Like, are you both like just so in the zone that there's not even a, a question of like forgetting a line or if you do, you just roll with it or what? We, we definitely forgot lines. Um, there was a point where, cause we'd be doing 13 minute, 14 minute takes. Yeah. Um, and there was a point where we kept messing it up. We kept messing it up. We kept messing it up. And we kept stopping if we messed up, which then gave us permission to stop when we messed up. So the next time we did it, we'd invariably make a mistake and then we'd stop. You're like, we're never going to get through this. Right. And I remember we sort of caught each other and we were like, right, whatever happens, we just push through. doesn't matter whether you shit your pants in the middle of a take, you push through. Do you know what I mean? Uh, maybe we, maybe I shot myself because I pushed through. But um, <laughs> uh, but you you just, and then honestly, the minute we had that conversation with, with each other, there were less mistakes and we did just get it done. And yeah, of course, there's still mistakes and there's still things that you weren't entirely happy with. And it's always going to be a choice when it's something that is, one take like that but um but it was really really interesting to do look i love talking to the audience and i love having lots to do and lots to say if it's well written and that but, was the big thing but i i've not, haven't worked that hard since i was at school and i had to like learn shit off by heart you know i the my favorite review of all our reviews was the one that talked about how many lines we had to learn and and when my dad called me to say well done he he was like jesus i don't know how you remembered all that dialogue sharon i was like yes someone noticed uh, it was like i found it really, really hard like as hard as as the acting bit i mean it's shitloads to learn in very little yeah. time so i is there I, a one that is there a one no I, I totally have mad respect for it. Is there a line over the years that has haunted you? I mean, again, not to keep going back to like X-Men stuff, but that, there's a lot of techno babble stuff, particularly in the stuff you've done over the years, James, I think of, or for you, Sharon, uh, you've done so much work. Are there lines that just like to this day are stuck in your head, in your uh, nightmares? 
Well, I I I, I did a series called um, the uh, um, the increasingly poor decisions of Todd Margaret, and right. I, I traveled back from uh, LA to do it. And I'd like one day to recover, and I was doing a scene with uh, Spike Jones and Will Arnett and David Cross, and every single thing left my head, and and was gone forever. You know, and it wasn't so. They, they were, David was like, you know, just step off and have a think. And I was like, it's fucking po pointless, pointless. I'd go out and read it, and I'd come back, and it would just uh, nothing. I was so mortified. And I think about that all the time, and it's horrible. It's horrible nightmare with those people looking at me. Just awful. <laughs> Let's relive some horror, horrible story for you, James. Even the score. What do you got? Oh my god, I don't know. I mean, I think I'm just really good at remembering it now. Don't know. Um, look, I've totally do you know what it is though? I I forget my lines all the time. I forgot my lines on stage doing Shakespeare, just recently doing Raw Stand. Like I I forget my lines all the time, but I generally just blag it and make it I'm like, I'm not gonna stop talking until I get back to a line that is actually in the script. And that's generally what I do. I'm like, shoot, I'm going to say as much as I need to say, as much ridiculous pesh as I need to get out of my mouth until I get back on target. Yeah, and that's uh, the good thing about Shakespeare. You can just improvise Shakespeare very easily. You can just make Dude, it up. Try, try improvising <laughs> rhyming couplet Shakespeare. It is it's ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, you, you mentioned a project that I've actually very, very curious about, James. I love Claire Foy and I love this, the background of this project. So yes, this is kind of an improvised thriller that you shot. What can, what can you say yeah. about, about uh, my, son? Yeah. my son? My uh, son is directed by Christian Carrion. What a Carrion it was. And um, he, um, he's made this film once before in France. His idea is that he makes it every couple of years in a different country, different language, different actors and see what happens because the lead actor doesn't have an, a script, doesn't know what's going to go on from one minute to the next. And, um, and he just lets you go. Uh, so like my first day I show up and I don't want to give any other way, but my first day I show up, literally drive to this, these location, this, this GPS coordinates and Claire standing there doing something and I'm like all right here we go apart from the fact that I've known Claire for years and like I'm like all right Claire but um wow yeah it was pretty it how was did pretty you not crazy. laugh James how did you not just I would just have laughed all the way through she well there was a couple of moments there was a bit where Gary Lewis shows up and I'm like all right Gary <laughs> like, yeah it's quite hard and then another point like a guy tried like jumped out of something and tried to do something to me and I was like oh it's Jamie Mickey we've been playing football together for like 15 years and um yeah so it was it was quite funny a couple of times and they're like they're there to preserve the kind of the reality of it all and you are but they're also preserving the sort of the anyway blah blah it's another that's movie. amazing but um, you're like the star of your own punk show. show you're like in a reality show where they're just uh, <laughs> it's amazing and and for you yeah, Sharon great. Uh, make it a great film within a film that yeah. He should make that every other year when he's not making. There you go. Every year. <laughs> Sharon, you're always obviously very busy. Among the many projects on your slate, uh, did you shoot the Nicolas Cage movie? This very yeah, strange. Yeah. So on the Nicolas Cage scale of crazy Nicolas Cageiness, this is him playing a version of Nicolas Cage. Yeah. How insane a Nick Cage experience did you have in the best possible way? I hope. Oh. Um... In the best possible way, it was, you know, um, it was completely insane. I mean, not, 
uh, because he's playing himself and he's playing a younger, well, he's playing a version of himself. Right. And then right. he's playing a version of a younger version of himself. <laughs> and it's super meta. And it's also a, like a sort of, um, you, you know, it, it's, 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 a, it's a thriller and it's, you know, there's like high speed chases and, and uh, like everything you could possibly want. Um, uh you know there there was um one day where he'd sort of been recording his lines um the night before because it's how he sort of learns them and he, he came in and he you know decided to do them in a, in a in a certain way and he was sort of playing them and laughing his head off and that was a real sort of you know i never thought i would be in a in a jeep doing an action movie with nick cage where he's playing me the lines that he'd uh, uh recorded the night before and um but it was Oh, it was just the best one ever. Um, but it was also weirdly in the midst of, of lockdown. Like we shot it in Budapest and right. it locked down hard when we were there. So you, uh, we were just in this hotel with nowhere, nowhere to go and really nothing to do. And, uh, yeah. you know, it was intense in that way. Also, yeah. I decided in, in order to like really feel and take in the moment of working with Nick Cage that I would watch Nick Cage movies in the evening Love so it. that I wasn't just being all like blasé about it so so that was weird you know I'd come in the morning and, and talk to him about you know something I'd watched the night before I know I that it. sounds weird but I had to I had to do it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I spoke to Pedro Pascal briefly at the end of it. It seemed like it was it was an experience for all of them. And I can't wait to for see sure. how it turned out. Um, yeah. Guys, thank you so much for the time tonight. This is a little bit of a shorter version of the podcast that I usually do, but I couldn't resist the chance to catch up with my favorite kissing bandit, Mr. James McAvoy, and to meet you, uh, Sharon, because I'm such a fan. Congratulations on the film, guys. Uh, and you. I look forward to catching up with you guys soon. You too. Take care, Josh. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>